This is Soccer City. I know that New York City FC supporters are anxious and sometimes frustrated about the absence of a soccer-specific home for their boys in blue, but imagine that you are a member of the Columbus Crew SC community. Chances are they won't even have a team after this season. But don't tell Morgan Hughes that, the head of Save the Crew. We're fond of saying that the future of the crew is in Columbus, and, and you know the, the decisions that will be made to sell this team to local ownership will be made here. We're going to Save the Crew. There will be a local, a local new ownership. Although that may not be how MLS sees it, Morgan will join me later in the program. Also a preview of New York City at Columbus. Charles Catone has been in the soccer business for over 40 years. I think of Charlie as a soccer historian who says there is a history of soccer at NYCFC's current home, Yankee Stadium. They've been playing soccer on and off in Yankee Stadium since the 30s. Major international games coming through. The American Soccer League in the 50s used to have regularly on Sunday doubleheaders there. Charlie and his wife Linda, the co-editors of the North American Soccer Guide 2018. More with Charlie later. First on Soccer City... A question. What about an athlete's mental health? It's something that is not often addressed. We want to hide that it exists. Well, many were awakened when former Arsenal center back Per Mertesacker, a veteran of three World Cups for Germany, described his mental strains. Now, this is a professional athlete, and it was enlightening, but what about the less famous, especially our youth players? Well, that's where Jonas Silk comes in, a friend and a colleague. We coach together at the Players Development Academy in New Jersey. He's a Connecticut native, played his college ball at Drew University in New Jersey, now in grad school at the University of Michigan, getting his master's in social work and coaching U-12 boys for the Michigan Tigers Club. And Jonah has created a foundation called Goals and Glory, and he's with us here on Soccer City. Why don't you uh, first uh, define for us your inspiration uh, for this foundation? I know a lot a lot went into it. I think the idea started a, a while ago, and as a athlete turned coach, and I'm understanding some of the struggles beyond the physical side of the game, but certainly physical struggles like injuries as well. And then it really started to take form once I you know, got the opportunity to come to the University of Michigan and have the resources and network here. Um, I think it's, as you described, a theme that's really been kind of hush-hush for a long time, especially um, in sports, but certainly in, in all aspects of life. And so then what we notice is those of us that are very fortunate and don't have maybe some of the severe challenges that we encounter in stories while we're playing or coaching, um, and we recognize how fortunate we are. Well, why do you think, Jonah, that we are uh, reluctant to talk about mental health or uh, any sort of disability like that? And why, why uh, what, what has happened, do you think, that has made it a, a little bit more comfortable to discuss? Oh, well, I think the word in particular, even trauma, is something that's been associated with um, tragedy or, or war, the soldier, the PTSD element. And, um, you know, that, that makes it a, a touchy subject for the ordinary citizen or civilian or athlete or young student. Um, and what we're encountering is that by leaving it alone and not dealing with it, not kind of discussing it, not studying it, it leads to mental health disorders. By speaking about it, by giving people an opportunity to even be recognized for it or um, proud of it, um, we're going to destigmatize it and kind of bring it to the forefront of clinical counseling as well and, and being there for everyday students who have had it, not just tragedies 
but um, injuries, loss of family members, uh, struggling with bullying, all, all of these things are, are forms of trauma that affect the everyday person. All right, let's talk about how goals and glory now is empowering uh, our youth. It's goalsandglory.org. But how exactly is uh, uh, are the, the youth uh, able to express themselves? And then you have a scholarship uh, also that's involved with that, this foundation. We, we definitely want to combine an element of education and, um, you know, the scholar-athlete aspect as well as just um, recognizing people for sports accomplishments. Um, but we really felt like there's nothing out there that gives children, the everyday athlete, not just professional athletes or celebrities, but the everyday coach, the everyday player, the everyday family that's struggling to, to put something out there and, and, um, and have that platform. Coaches, players, a lot of people can get involved and be recognized or, you know, put up something for a conversation or, or reaching out for help even. And, uh, and not only having them do that, but then potentially be recognized and then potentially win an award. Um, obviously, our funding determines how many scholarships we can offer, um, but it's in no way a contest. We want to help anybody that we can. And, you know, based on the number of contributions we have of articles written, we we want to help as many athletes as we can, um, both in recognition and in funding realistic scholarships that, you know, can go towards their recovery or uh, furthering their education or going to take a course uh, to become a coach or anything really that can advance their future. So uh, goalsandglory.org. So you have, uh, it's defined on your website that uh, it's an online magazine platform. So that that does sound like a, a Players' Tribune format for youth soccer players specifically. Sure. Well, we, we definitely have a, a soccer background, and, and we like the benefits to soccer uh, for young athletes, but it is for all athletes. Um, I do want to be clear on that. Any, any story, um, any sport, any way that a young athlete used the game or learned from the game or found a way to overcome something involved in, in a hardship within a game, you know, combining this kind of sport and uh, adversity aspect um, is eligible. And it is similar to the Players' Tribune. We were inspired by that. But, again, we felt like, why is this not helping the everyday athlete? Why, these people have resources. They have the finances, they have the funding, and they have, you know, the best staffs that, that you can find. Uh, this needs to go further and, and go help the everyday kid and the everyday coach. And, and certainly we're inspired by that, but we really plan to take the message further. There's a therapeutic element of uh, actually writing your story and sharing it with others and lifting that weight off yourself. And then I think we all know the impact we have of reading these feel-good stories. I think we're in a, a time in the world that's, you know, quite – uh, attracted to negative media and negative news and you know we're in a quite divided time and I think you know people are really yearning for uh, positive messages and uh, opportunities to unite around meaningful causes. And does, uh, does the aspect that the coach or the parent or even the peers are a little bit more aware to notice an issue maybe with the with a teammate or a son or daughter or or one of their players and then the next step of course is addressing it but is is it that kind of awareness you're seeking as well absolutely i think that's the kind of next phase the macro um which is you know also what we talk about in social work which is uh 
you know, a responsibility to, to act and, and, you know, even on suspicion. And the individual, though, that might be troubled, part of the murder sacker story that struck me is that here's a guy who is troubled who didn't even notice that one of his teammates was in 2009 in Germany, one of his clubmates committed suicide. You know, here's yep. a guy that's kind of, uh, you know, in tune perhaps with it, but but not with others. Yep. I mean, it's a it's a difficult thing to talk about with psychological uh, disorders and, you know, everybody's is different. And, and they're kind of the study is constantly tra- uh, changing. And this theme of trauma is a very new study. I feel the field I'm getting into is very new um, kind of orientation. That's what we're finding. And um, that's exciting. But it's also you know, we are, we're learning ways to, to deal with that aspect better, not just um, having the responsibility to act, but what are signs and beyond the very obvious ones. Um, and that's such an important part of getting people to start to come out on their own and speak up and feel comfortable enough to do so, because there's not always going to be clear signs. People hide them well. People are functional. Um, and, and that's why it's a, it's a shared responsibility. We need people to, you know, have the strength and, and courage to, to come forth themselves and we have to have society aware of the signs of it and together that that can be a massive improvement from where we're at right now. Jonah, can you share a story, whether recent or past, that really uh, impacted you? I've got uh, plenty of my own personal sports stories through challenges and injuries and um, then obviously as a man at, at 33 years old, we all go through our adversity, but I'm more impressed really right now with um, I think part of technology and the ability to share things, the stuff that the young people are starting to do now is, is just incredible. And, uh, you know, so I've been really inspired by two athletes that, you know, as youngsters have struggled and chose to not only handle that with you know, a lot of strength and dignity, but, you know, it inspired them to help others. So, you know, the first athlete would be a, a, a female goalkeeper who, you know, played goalkeeper at a, a very elite club that we both know and, and at a very high level and at 15 years old encountered that she was diagnosed with leukemia and, and was going to have to go from being at that high of a level to not playing and, and battling a very, very difficult disease. Um, she chose to, you know, still research and try to raise money for other people suffering and um, grow awareness on the issue as she was battling her own um, fight that, you know, we, we know how hard that is. Um, I don't know anybody who, who is not impacted by her story. And then uh, certainly uh, the, the newest article contributed on the site is by a gentleman, Abiola, from Nigeria, who moved to Newark, um, knowing almost no English, and encountered some bullying and some major obstacles in school because of the language issues and um, really kind of forced through some insecurity stuff and went to seek extra help and learning better English and, you know, turned into this very good high school soccer player and uh, a scholar athlete and received a scholarship to go to Lafayette. Um, and he shared his personal story, which was, you know, incredibly inspiring. That's Jonas Silk, founder of Goals and Glory. So if you know a young athlete who has a story to share, let them know about this chance to secure a scholarship. Donations at present are critical and tax deductible. And you get a vintage T-shirt with a donation of $25 or more to goalsandglory.org.
Well, he's a three-time winner of the National Soccer Coaches Association of America Writing Award. Charles Catone, he's been uh, working in or writing about soccer for more than 40 years in a career that began working in the public relations department of the New York Cosmos in 1975 and has included serving as a team executive, an owner, international games promoter, product developer, licensee, writer, editor, web developer. He has done it all. And uh, he and his wife, Linda, are the editors of the North American Soccer Guide 2018 edition. That's at NA Soccer Guide. Charles Catone. How are you, Charlie? Hi, Glenn. I'm, I'm well. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. I, I want to know your inspiration because this is a project. I looked through it and it's so much work, I'm sure, to put it together. You had the guide in 2017. Now you've updated it for 2018. Why have you done this? I, I, I don't know. I think insanity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're already working on 2019. Uh, it's actually well underway. I, I think really the, the inspiration for it, you know, as you said, you know, I've been in soccer for a long time and covering soccer and, and just following soccer and there is so much about the game that we really wanted to come up with a way to sort of put it all in one place. Um, you know, we, we ran a number of websites for, for 15 years and, and covered news on a daily basis, but, but there was just never really anywhere to find a compilation of all the facts, all the information about all the different types of soccer that we have in this country. And, and, and almost every major soccer country in the world has a similar type of national record book that's published. Um, and we just kind of wanted to add to, to that and, and, you know, kind of add to the chronicling of, of the history of the game. And while it's not really a history book, we sort of wanted to connect the dots with the past to the present, because I think a lot of soccer fans, you know, MLS has grown so much and, and, and the following uh, at all the levels of the sport has grown so much. I think a lot of the people are not aware of the, the rich history uh, that the game really has in, in this country. Well, that's my favorite part of the book, I have to say. I like all the updated information with all the, the, the professional leagues and, and, and the colleges and youth. Uh, but what I've really gravitated to as I look through it is is where you have the historical perspective and the stadium information. So I, I want to go to page 372, and this is, uh, I guess the title of this is Stadium Attendance Records. But if you just look at the New York, New Jersey area, I, I, I see some of the uh, venues. Downing Stadium, well, we know about that, the, the 1966, 25,670. Ebbets Field hosted a soccer match in 1957. Uh, we know about City Field uh, in Flushing. Uh, they actually hosted New York City FC last year, but Ecuador, Greece in 2011 drew 38,000. The Polo Grounds, which no longer exist, hosted a game, a U.S. Open Cup game in 1926, I think it says here, and, and all the Yankee stadiums, the old Yankee Stadium, the renovated Yankee Stadium, and the new Yankee Stadium all was soccer, and that's not even all of them listed. So that is fun information. But I don't think people are aware that so much soccer had been played in the, these baseball stadiums, Charlie. No, I mean, it, it, the soccer, if you, you know, looking back, and, and this is, one, for me, one of the most fun fun things to do is, is to go back and, 
and you know pull this kind of stuff together um and and you know being a new york guy especially going back and and looking at those things i mean yankee stadium they they've been playing soccer on and off in yankee stadium since the 30s um major international games coming through the american soccer league in the 50s used to have regularly on sunday double headers there uh, sometimes involving four ASL teams. Sometimes it would be two ASL teams and a pair of foreign teams coming through. Um, so there's, you know, same thing with the Polo Grounds and, and Ebbets Field. And, and in, you know, some of the other big cities around the country, they, they've had Open Cup finals at uh, the Old Bush Stadium in St. Louis, at uh, Comiskey Park in Chicago. Um, the Philadelphia baseball parks were used for soccer. Um, so, you know, it, it, back in the day when, when the only big stadium in most of the cities was the baseball park, um, you know, if there was a big soccer game, that's where it was played. Well, it, the Yankee Stadium, let's focus on that for a moment because uh, you were there when the Cosmos and the great Pelé played in the Bronx. I mean, there are so many people that wonder, how is soccer being played in MLS at this baseball stadium. Many people object to it. Uh, but the fact that Pele played on it, the Cosmos played on it, they were uh, one of the uh, great teams in the world, especially in the States. But you were there in those those more infant stages. So what was that like? Tell us about soccer at Yankees Stadium in the mid-'70s. Well, it, it was kind of an, in, an interesting setup. Of course, the, the Yankees were, were the, the landlord, and they always had concerns, as they do now, about, about the field. Uh, and, and they had the right to, to cancel the game, uh, I think, any time up until kickoff um, because of the weather. But it, it was an interesting place because it, 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 it was just after the renovation um, when the new stadium opened in 76. And if I recall correctly, the, the, the one sideline kind of went up the third base line. Um, and, you know, the, the skin of the infield was, was bare, um, and, you know, we kind of played around it. It, it, was, it was a narrow field, um, and, you know, it, they, they played around it. Pelé had played there before. He played several games in the old stadium with Santos when they would make their, um, their tours of, of the United States. So it was, uh, um, you know, it was a big part of the old stadium as well. Charles Catone, our guest on Soccer City. Uh, Charles, another uh, area of the uh, 2018 guide, and again, it's called the uh, North American Soccer Guide 2018. I'm, I'm holding it. I'm looking at it. Of course, no one else can see it. This is radio. But uh, you got to get a hold of it if you're a soccer person. The uh, There's an obituary section, and I know that uh, there were some big names that passed away in 2017. Tony DeChico, Chuck Blazer, uh, Clay Burling, the original editor of Soccer America, the creator of Soccer America. But there was one name there that I, I, I wasn't aware of, I missed, and he played for the Cosmos, Roberto Cabanas. Can you tell us a little bit about Cabanas? Well, Cabanas, you know, at, at the time when the Cosmos were, were really well known for signing big-name foreign stars, Cabanas was kind of the, the new wave that the Cosmos started looking at, realizing that you couldn't, over the long term, just continue to build the team with established players. So Cabanas was, was signed in, um, 
1979, I believe it was, uh, after playing in, in Paraguay, and he quickly became one of the bright stars in the league. He, he, he led the league in scoring. Um, he scored a tremendous um, back heel in the air goal. Scorpion. Win the, exactly. The scorp- that's, if you go on YouTube, year. everyone, if you haven't seen it, you have to go on uh, YouTube and uh, Google or type in uh, Roberto Cabanas Scorpion to see this thing. And, and he really, he, he had one of the, in 1983, he had one of the best best seasons in NASL history. at 25 goals, 16 assists, um, and, and he really, he truly was a, a bright young star. Of course, the league folded um, in, in after the 84 season, and, you know, he, he continued to have a, a great career. He played in Copa America, uh, played with Boca Juniors and uh, Libertad. Charles Catone, he is the uh, editor, along with his wife, Linda, of the North American Soccer Guide 2018 at NAS Soccer, and a Soccer Guide, and also NorthAmericanSoccerGuide.com. Charlie, good luck with it. Good luck uh, with 2019 as you work through that, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, Glenn, thank you. October 16th, 2017, that evening news broke that Columbus Crew owner Anthony Precourt had a plan in place to potentially move the team to Austin, Texas at the conclusion of the 2018 season, this season. The timing of the announcement seemed extraordinary, if not insulting, during a week while the team was preparing for a regular season finale and playoff positioning against New York City FC, who were playing that home game at the end of last year at City Field, the home of the Mets. So game day, uh, an odd one indeed. Well, fast forward to August 15th of uh, 2018, just a week or so ago, and Austin has approved the construction of a soccer-specific stadium. Said Precourt, quote, it's been a long emotional process. We're thrilled to move forward. The work starts now, and we're bringing Major League Soccer to Austin, Texas. Morgan Hughes is the head of the Save the Crew movement, which seemed to emerge the moment pre-court made the, the initial announcement. Morgan, I want to welcome you to Soccer City. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me in. Glad to be here. I, I, I want to set a timeline a little bit about all this uh, for the audience, and then we'll lead into this most recent announcement. But if we go back to pre-court's uh, initial uh, or the the emergence of the of the story that Monday night, October the sixteenth, he had a press conference the next day, and he stated, "Precourt Sports Ventures has decided it must begin exploring strategic alternatives to secure the long term viability of the club. These options will include either remaining in Columbus or moving to Austin." I'm, I'm curious, what level of shock was this announcement? Did the supporters have any indications that that this was happening? Uh, no, none whatsoever. It was a, it was a, an incredibly massive shock to you know our entire system, our whole community. We had no idea it was coming. Um, you know, it. In retrospect, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But um, the announcement kind of made a lot of things that he had done personally, uh, or lack thereof of things that he'd done personally uh, in Columbus, make a lot of sense. What were uh, what are some of the things you're you're referring to? Because in in his statements, he had done so much uh, for the community, for the club. Uh, you know, he 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 made it sound as if uh, he he had done or is doing everything uh, humanly possible. 
Yeah, well, no, I would say, <laughs> I would say quite the opposite, the antithesis. Uh, he, I think, you know, I, I, I said to somebody in the front office at the beginning of 2017, I guess that season last year, that, uh, you know, Anthony Precourt's only been here like twice in the last year. What's going on? As, as time goes on, he seems to be uh, present less and less. And, and, you know, that absentee owner role seems to be something that he is, uh, you know, settling quite nicely into. And I was just kind of at the time, you know, I was worried about him as a, as a person. Um, you know, he had always talked the talk as far as his commitment to Columbus, but never really walked the walk. And, and I, you know, I give, I give humans the benefit of the doubt. So when he said, you know, I'm all in, in Columbus, you know, this is a badge of honor for all to wear, you know, basically all the things he's saying now in Austin, I believed him because I didn't have a reason not to. Um, so at the time I was kind of worried about him, uh, you know, but as it turns out, he was, you know, he was never interested in Columbus to begin with. He had a, an out clause for Austin when he bought the crew and, and uh, he was never intending to be here or, or put down roots in this community at all. I mean, he made a comment uh, last October, uh, this is according to the Columbus Dispatch, that uh, that he was tired of the insecurities crew SC fans have about the team possibly moving. Well, isn't that a great quote? He he said that to Adam Jardy, uh, who's now on the Ohio State men's basketball beat, who was on the uh, crew beat uh, at the time for the dispatch. Um, the dispatch has been great during this entire thing, whether it's him or uh, Mike A-Race or, you know, Andrew Erickson, they've, they've really done a great job. But it, to say, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the insecurities. We're playing for Columbus and that's just the end of it. And, and you know, and then, to, and, and then at that point he was already planning this, this deception, this kind of robbery of our community. Um, you know, yeah, it, it, again, in retrospect, it's, it's, it's pretty hysterical. It'd be funny if it weren't so intensely, um, you know, offensive, I guess. Have you and uh, other supporters, have you ever had a chance for a sit-down with the owner? Yes. The short answer is yes, before October. And I think that this must have been back in 2013. He came to one of our uh, our preseason supporter summits that we have every year. So nothing after the announcement? Oh, certainly not. No, he, both he and, and uh, you know, Don Garber, we've, we've written letters, open letters to, to Garber and and uh, we've reached out to Precor, you know, on our own uh, to kind of extend an olive branch multiple times, and we've heard nothing, nothing in return. They, their silence speaks volumes in cases like that and in places like that. It's been extraordinarily frustrating. So uh, at the top, we talked about August 15th, Austin approving the, the uh, construction of soccer-specific stadium, and Precor saying pretty definitively, we're bringing MLS to Austin. So what's happening now? Well, you know, that was kind of just a, you know, we're fond of saying that the future of the crew is in Columbus and, the, and you know, the the decisions that will be made to, to sell this team to local ownership will be made here. Uh, Austin is not the future of the crew. Uh, so things that happen down there, they don't, you know, it's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying to have that noise going on and everything else, but, you know, it's it's like a you know it's like a fly in your soup. It's not it's not something that you're overly concerned with. Um, there's, you know, I it's it, that was both a celebratory day for us and kind of one that that made you sad to an extent because I think that it 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 it, it signaled the end of 
you know pre-courts regime here in Columbus, and and it marked the you know the beginning of a the beginning of the beginning of our future. I know that the, you know we're going to save the crew. There will be a local, a local new ownership. There is belief among the crew supporters, but pre-court got his stadium in Austin. He's got a logo, and MLS have yet to respond to the Austin declaration by pre-court. Special thanks to Save the Crew leader Morgan Hughes. The second and final meeting of the season series between New York City and Crew SC, and maybe City's final match ever at Mopfrey Stadium in Columbus, this Saturday, September the 1st. NYCFC defeated the Crew at Yankee Stadium on July the 15th on two late goals. Jesus Medina with the game winner in the 80th, and Tinnerboom, Anton Tinnerholm, in the 90th minute. New York City leads the overall series against Columbus. Three wins, two losses, and there have been three draws. A total of 34 goals in those eight matches, so it's always entertaining. And we'll have that match live for you here on WNYE with the pregame, 7.45 p.m. with head coach Dome Turon. Well, that'll do it for Soccer City. This is Glenn Crooks, and have a great week of soccer.